right. We are, we are not live. So we're recording. <laughs> Alrighty, welcome back, guys. So, of course, it's always Eric here with us, and it's Nate, the, you know, the, the, the fire and life of the show. And we have a very special, interesting guest with us today, uh, Miss Ayla. I want to say hi to the people and give them a quick introduction. I don't want to, like, you know, give them the spiel and spoil the surprise of what it is that you do. Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ayla Cuenca. I am a birth doula and holistic birth guide. And I'm super excited to be with these two gentlemen today, talking Ooh. about life and the Talking journey. about something I have genuinely uh, never spoken about or even dived into. So I'm super excited about this. Yeah, Eric has been talking all week, like, listen, bro, I cannot wait to talk about this conversation. I'm like, I'm super interested into it. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've just dove into the holistic world. And I like, uh, I'm Moonlight as an EMT. So like, I kind of play in the medical field. But Eric has absolutely no idea what's going on right now. Yeah, I, mean, I, uh, I would like to think I'm pretty well versed in a variety of topics, but this is one uh, I know nothing about. So we're going to all learn today. That's what we're going to do. So uh, uh, how about you tell us, uh, Ava, like what specifically is a doula or a holistic birth professional? Okay, so a doula is, the Greek word for doula is servant. So traditionally, we acted as servants for families through transitions, through the birthing process, through having a new baby at home. Um, there's even death doulas who help with transitioning from life to the afterlife. Um, so it's really someone who's there to serve as a guide through a transition. Um, but I also teach childbirth education classes and I also do one-on-one -on -one consultations with couples who are just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. They got pregnant. They're not sure which direction to move in. So as a guide, um, I offer whatever information they need. Like if they're planning to go to the hospital, I can help guide them on that path. If they want to do a home birth, I can help guide them on that path. So it's really just offering information so that people feel empowered. Mm -hmm. um, and every doula is different. You know, we all have different approaches. Um, some of us are more about, you know, offering support through the birth in terms of relaxation and breathing. Some of us are really big on medical advocacy and making sure that um, informed consent is being practiced and the woman is empowered. And, you know, so we're all, we're all kind of offering different things. Uh, we're not medical professionals. We don't do exams. We don't take blood pressure, uh, we don't make any kind of diagnosis. We're really emotional and physical support people. So we work for the couple or for the woman. We don't work for doctors or midwives or anything like that. We're really there for the family. Going into this, I, uh, for a while I thought you were a midwife. Mm -hmm. um, and then I heard the term doula and I wasn't sure what the difference was. Do you mind uh, sharing that information? Yeah, so the, a midwife generally, there's all different kinds of licensures and credentials state to state. Midwives are heavily regulated by the United States. Um, so let's just talk about the state of Florida. Um, that's where I live, excuse me. So in the state of Florida, there's a certified professional midwife. So they do about eight years of school um, in terms of training for labor and delivery, for prenatal care, for newborn care. Um, they can give you all the care that you need throughout your pregnancy, your birth, and your postpartum, which is after birth. Um, they don't typically work in hospitals unless they are certified nurse midwives. So they've also had nurse training. 
um, certified professional midwives are working out of birth centers or they're just doing home births. So, um, you know, the only difference between, well, for me, just to put it very generally, the biggest difference between an OB and a midwife is that an OB performs surgery, mm -hmm. right? They do C-sections, they take high-risk cases. Uh, midwives only take low-risk cases and they don't do any surgeries, but they offer the same type of care. They're there to help you birth your baby. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a... That's a lot. <laughs> so what is the whole, what is the, what is the meaning behind holistic birth, birthing? For me, holistic means that I'm encompassing a lot of different um, opportunities for families. So I'm not really focused on just hospital birth and supporting you through that experience. I'm, I'm more interested in supporting you through um, the journey of educating yourself, of uh, empowering yourself. Um, no matter where you want to go. So holistic for me just means like a 360 approach to the experience. Um, you know, some people might call it full spectrum because um, I also am there as a guide for people going through different types of losses or different types of births, right? If they have a miscarriage, for example, I can doula them through that experience. So for me, it's, it's any kind of experience that has to do with the birthing process that I can be a support system. Have you ever had to deal with a situation like that? Like dealing with somebody who had to, you had to duel it through a miscarriage? I have, yeah. And, um, and it's not, it can be, it can be celebratory in the sense that you're honoring life that, that was, even if it was just for a brief moment in time. Um, but there is, a, you know, there is this really intense physical component to that because you still go through all of the hormonal changes that you would had the baby been born alive. So you're still dealing with like breast milk coming in and there's no baby. So there's, there's still this um, transistory period that women need support through in the family and just to process it, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. it's deeply mournful for a lot of people. Yeah, that's, that's a very in, in, intense situation. Like as a man, I probably would never understand what it's like to go through something like that. But I can only imagine what it's like to be on the verge of gaining and losing life at the same time. It's almost like like mixed emotions in a way you know for sure and if and if there's no one there to to hold space for you you might never process that experience right and we don't process trauma or we don't process loss we don't process something that we didn't plan for it, it can fester right and it can hold us back continuously throughout life and make it difficult to then later have a celebratory pregnancy because mm -hmm. you're still mourning so before we go too deep into uh, what you do, um, how did you how did you get into it? Like me personally, Nate, I know he uh, he's um, <clears throat> been interested in the health sciences. I studied business in school, and for a while, you know, thought about going down the corporate route. Um, and throughout life, we have so many different opportunities thrown at us, and things that we could potentially choose to. Uh, do in the future. And obviously, maybe not many men end up being a doula. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, Are there any? There's one I know of. He lives in Puerto Rico. Wow. Well, uh, how, how did you end up coming to the decision that I'm going to, I'm going to be a doula? Um, okay. So I just know that I've always been an empath since mm -hmm. a child. 
Like I've always wanted, like if someone is dealing with something, I've always wanted to see how I can help them get to the other side of it, mm. right? Like solutions oriented is how I would describe it. Um, and so when I was going through my liberal arts education, I went to Bennington College in Vermont. I was in photography, like I had, I was always doing photography since high school and then through college and then I was gonna move to New York and I was gonna become a photographer, right? Like I was trying to carve out that path and then I went into commercial photography, um, working at a, a magazine um, in New York and I completely disconnected from myself. Like I was really just there working, mm -hmm. sleeping, working, sleeping, and I didn't feel aligned. So I went out to California like most people do to find, you know, find themselves. I went back home to where I was born and got another commercial photography job. And I said, there is no meaning for me in this. I'm sure that many people find meaning in this work because it's communication arts, but this is not my, this is not my art anymore. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Miami um, where I started doing photography, but more for families. And um, I started photographing births. And then that's when I observed that this was something I really wanted to understand more. So then I did a doula training and I really connected with it. And then I myself um, was pregnant and I had a baby at home. And that experience really changed my life, obviously in so many ways. So it kind of all happened at once. I had my baby, I certified as a doula, I began, I began attending births as a doula, no longer as a photographer. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I certified to become a childbirth educator. And now the path that I'm really on is empowering the individual to have the experience that they want to have. What are the, so like, all right, so I know you have the right to have your child at home and not go to the hospital and go through the whole, you know, uh, normal way normal way of doing things. But um, what are the processes as far as like legality wise, does a person have to go through once giving a birth to a child at home as far as like filling out paperwork and getting the birth certificate done, you know, letting people know that this baby does exist? Like, what are the actual steps that go behind birthing a child at home? So you find out you're pregnant and you're considering doing a home birth you would interview a midwife and she would do a risk assessment on you to see like, you know, do you have diabetes? If you do, that's high risk. You can't birth at home. If you have high blood pressure, um, they look at a series of things to, to make sure that you score within a low risk, um, to make sure that you score a low risk, I should say. And so once that's done, you get all the prenatal care that you would at, a, at an OB's office, an OB-GYN. Um, there, in terms of legality, it depends on state to state, right? Like in the state of Georgia, you cannot have a home birth. You can only go to a birth center where a certified nurse midwife would attend you. Um, if you wanted to have twins at home, you would have to go to Michigan State because in Florida, to birth twins at home is illegal. So oh. it's pretty heavily re regulated and it just depends where you live. Um, so once the baby's born at home, everything goes well. Uh, the midwife is inputting all of the records, all of your medical information into your file, and that's getting sent out to the Office of Vital Statistics, and your baby receives a birth certificate. You apply for Social Security in the same way that you would at the hospital. Your baby gets a Social Security card. Um, 
there's no, you know, it's not like this off the record underground thing yeah. when you're working with a midwife. Um, there are unassisted births where women educate themselves to the point that they choose not to have anyone there. They know that they're healthy. They know how to tune into their body, meaning like they know how to see if the baby sounds good. They can listen to their own baby. They can check their own blood pressure, um, things like that. They don't feel the need to get ultrasounds um, and they have their baby at home without anyone. So some women do that and then they just have to go through the process of you know, applying for social security, registering their baby, getting a birth certificate, same thing. And they're assuming all the responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Man, women are amazing, bro. Like, geez, like, like to be able to not only carry the child, but now be able to like assess the child while it's in the womb and then give birth to the child and then take care of yourself, not only during the pregnancy, but after the pregnancy and still have the paperwork done after. Like that literally sounds like a superhero. <laughs> you know I, and it's also hard for me to really wrap my mind around how how like uh how tight things are in georgia because like not only are like um like now i'm finding out that they're actually tighter on like things like home births like where you can't even have birth, give births at home i know they were um what is this that they were actually going crazy on um they were going crazy on the um plant parenthood like they have a lot of beef with plant parenthood in georgia um, like the whole abortions rights things, like I know that's a big deal in Georgia. Like, what is what is what is going on in Georgia? Like, why is it that they put so much stress on, or do you have any idea why is that they put so much stress on the female reproductive system when it just doesn't really make that much of a sense to me? Um, I don't know too much about what's going on in Georgia, um, but I would imagine that it has a lot to do with who's passing bills who's proposing these bills and you know what their religious beliefs are you know what what their race is and um and a lot of the times it's men right they don't have the education they don't have the education of the female body to really understand um, <laughs> It's not, and it's not wrong. This, this, this issue, this deficit that men have is not their fault. It's mm -hmm. fault of our education system. Yeah, just a lack of education. Absolutely. It's not like, and they never know to learn, right? I teach so many couples about birth and the men are like, I'm here because I don't even know what a uterus is. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, that's <laughs> fair. You know? Yeah. The, sorry, go ahead. Finish that the thought. responsibility you guys have is to understand that there is a deficit and then just learn about it right like if you want to be with someone and have kids eventually right you want to learn about how the body how their body works right in this process that they're going to be going through um because it's relevant right mm -hmm. if you end up having a daughter you know even if you have a son like you really need to know how all these things function so it's just a deficit in our education system and i'm working on a class right now for five to ten year olds um, it's called sacred anatomy so that they can learn about their reproductive system, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that's taboo because people are like, I don't want to talk to my kids about sex. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you never talk to them about their bodies or about sex. They never learn boundaries with their body. They go to a doctor's office. They get pushed through the system. They have a birth that they don't want all because nobody would ever talk to them about what it means to have these things in their body and to, to mm -hmm. be a woman, right? Are there, is there anything uh, that you would recommend us as men to do during the 
uh, birthing process or uh, prior to that, any books we, we might need to read to uh, help educate ourselves? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a, there are a lot of books, but three specifically that I would recommend if you are interested in having children. Take notes on this part. One, the first one is Active Birth by Janet Velasquez. So you really understand that the body is intelligent, and you don't need all the stuff. You don't need all the bells and whistles. Okay. Like, huh. The two of you can really move through this without all that. So it gives you a great understanding about, you know, the, the anatomy um, and the physiological process of birth. Um, it shatters your concept of what modern birthing is, right? Like mm -hmm. the Hollywood version of birth, which is what we all know growing up. Like the woman says, my water breaks. She starts screaming. We got to get to the hospital, get in the taxi. We got to go. We got to go. You know, that whole thing is like a drama. It's not real. And so this kind of breaks that apart. Um, there's this book called The Birth Partner by Penny Simpkin. She's like a master doula. And um, she talks about how to support a woman through this process or a person through this process, right? Um, it gives you, you know, men like, I believe, and in my experience, men like to have tasks. Like if you're like, hey, this is what I need you to accomplish. Like you'll get there. Like you guys have this kind of like equal vision when it comes to getting things done. Women, I've always seen them more as kind of radial vision. Like they can do many things at once. They can multitask what's right in front of them. Men are like, I see that. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to do it. Right. But don't tell me to do five things at once because it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to get done. So this book, The Birth Partner, is excellent because it shows you like you have such a vital role in this process and then you feel relevant. Right. You're not sitting outside of the birth room smoking a cigar like in those movies, right? You're like involved. Yeah, you're stressing out in the back. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to finish what you started, is what I like to say. Oh, I like that. Good move. Good move. <laughs> Good move. Good and one. then one of my big passions that is something is like incredibly, I believe to be incredibly endangered is breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this book, The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, it's kind of a classic, but men say, What's, why would I read that to prepare for birth? What do I need to know about breastfeeding? It's her deal, right? So much of a woman's success in breastfeeding has to do with her partner's support and understanding of the process, mm -hmm. right? Have you ever seen uh, the movie Knocked Up? I did, yeah. yeah. I, so my goal is to not be Seth Rogen, where he uh, forgets <laughs> to read the baby books, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. We need to read the baby books, Nate. Yeah, I, 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 at this point, there's like a just touch on what uh what uh what uh Isla was saying. Isla was saying um when I was going through EM to, to through EMT my EMT program to get my license, and I was learning all the things, and then we got to the obstetrics part. I was just like, um, you know, I feel like this is just like information that just anybody with a basic high school education needs to know. Like, even when we got to the point of just, like, we were talking about cardiac issues, I was like, all right, this is something that I feel like everybody needs to know. Because, like, God forbid I'm on the train someday and something happens to me. I would like to know that anybody with a high school diploma can help me till the professionals get there. That's right. And it's not like they teach you, like, this outlandish amount of information. Like, even when they were giving us our birthing training, we don't do anything but basically help guide the body do what it's going to do already. You know, yeah. and even when you get to the hospital, it's not like the doctors do 
a crazy amount of stuff. You're basically just aiding the body to do what it's already built to do. So yeah. it's not like, you know, it's more so like, um, you, it's more so like having to learn about what comes after and like what to do before the baby gets here. Like that's where I feel like a lot of us need to like get onto it. As far as like the process of the actual baby coming here, that's like something that the woman's body is like in a way built to do unless there's like a complication somewhere where like, um, you know, um, I know like, um, I think midwives and doulas, you guys can deal with the prolapse burst or like um, a baby coming out feet first instead of head first. I know yeah. they train, they train, um, they train paramedics and EMTs to deal with that. If there's, if there's, you know, if there's a holdup to getting to the hospital, they right. always tell us if the feet come out first, do right. your best to head to the hospital, or if the umbilical cord comes out first, run to the hospital. But like they train you in case if you can't to, you know, what to do. But um, yeah, if that's if any complications besides that, the body should be able to just handle itself. And I just feel like that's just all stuff that we should just know, like a baseline education. That's just like all things we need to know. Absolutely. I totally agree. It should be part of our formal education. And um, the thing is, from, from birth, right, there's this indoctrination by the medical industrial complex, right? The, the whole pharmaceutical companies, mm. hospitals, the whole system. From birth, a woman is made to believe that someone else needs to help her with her body. Like she doesn't have the, the intuition, she doesn't have the knowledge, she can't do this alone. So that's how the birth process happens. And then from there, I don't know how to deal with this baby, so you just really hand it over to a pediatrician. I mean, women are in pedi pediatric offices twice a month for that first year. I, I imagine that's bad for the, um mother-child relationship when you immediately take the baby away mm -hmm. it is and so we and then we go you know we go into this process of someone else knows what to do and i don't and then so we're really handing over our power so we come very we become very disconnected from our bodies that's why a lot of women don't trust that they can just have i mean if a woman goes out into the woods and has her baby that baby's coming out Mm -hmm. Whether you have heart monitors, whether you have the tools, whether you have this or the that or the nurse, like that baby's going to come out because that's what the body's meant to do. Mm -hmm. But we've just come so far from trusting our bodies that it's, it's beyond the realm of possibility that that could happen without a hospital or without a doctor. So holistic birth is from what I'm gathering is um, without just pretty much naturally without the aid of uh the meds and the doctors and well holistic is really more it really translates to all-encompassing mm -hmm. looking at all perspectives is holistic when we're talking about unmedicated birth natural birth um yeah that's without drugs that's without interventions um there is a time and place for these drugs but it's way less than what we think it is and I will say that a lot of people are apprehensive about birthing at home because they'd say, well, what if, you know, what if something happens? Or my sister-in-law had an emergency C-section. Thank God she was at the hospital, right? Um, but how many of those emergency C-sections really are emergencies? And I always ask people, oh, that, you know, that's interesting. It was an emergency C-section. How long was it from the time that that C-section was suggested to the time that that woman actually got the C-section. I'll say, oh, well, you know, she went into the OR about an hour and a half after they told her that she had to have the C-section. 
and say, okay, so that wasn't an emergency. If it's more than eight minutes. Right. <laughs> Probably not an emergency, yeah. No one's life is at stake. So those are what I call self-induced C-sections, hmm. right? The woman got the epidural. The baby didn't like it because it's a lot of drugs. And that sounds like a close to worst case scenario, a self-induced C-section. Right. And why why have that if you don't need it? Exactly. Well, self, it, it's a little bit complex. So let me stop me if okay. <laughs> sorry if I go too far. But okay. um, self-induced means oh, okay. So there's a woman. She's pregnant. She says, "I want to have this baby, but I can't. It's so painful. I could never do it without drugs, right?" So then she plans to go to the hospital, get her epidural, right? Which is a, it's a, it's an injection and a drip of um, fentanyl and lidocaine that goes into your spinal cavity, uh, the epidural cavity in the spine. And so the woman can't feel anything from her belly button down, can't feel her legs, can't walk, can't feel anything. She's not really even sure that she's having a baby, right? The body is not sure. The body is confused at this point. She has to lie down at the hospital. She has to be on her back or on her side for an extended amount of time. What happens when you're lying down for an extended amount of time when you're pregnant is that your blood stops circulating properly. Oxygen is not reaching the baby as easily. So babies typically go into distress when a woman is on an epidural for an extended period of time. And then the nurses will say, this baby's heart rate doesn't look good. We're gonna talk about a C-section, like something's going on, right? And then the woman will go into the OR, get her, get her C-section and then suddenly they say, thank God you were here. We saved you and your baby's life. So that's what I mean by self-induced. I just mean that there was no actual um, illness or high-risk situation that the woman originally had. She just put herself into a high-risk situation by interrupting the birth process with drugs. Uh, even though I work, in the, uh, I work in the medical field, just um, by the little extent that I do, I'm like highly against medicine like i have beef with big pharma like i don't try I try to stay away from those type of uh some medications even if i have a headache like this headache has to be something that's going on for a week long and i can't find any other way to subside this headache for me to take a pill or, or anything you know so it's just like i believe like if you're gonna go to the hospital and you're gonna go take the drugs and medications it has to be in the case of an emergency where you need these things immediately right now to sustain life if it's, if it's to a point where you just need to mediate something that you can do otherwise besides taking these um, the pharmaceuticals, then I feel like you should try to, you know, explore other options because sometimes the pharmaceutical drugs themselves have adverse effects that are more harmful than what you were going through in the first place. That's right. You know? So it's like, I'm like big supporter for the holistic lifestyle as a whole, like as far as like um, you just taking care of yourself and watching your body and learning your body so you can understand when you're about to be sick or when you're when your body's actually falling out of balance instead of waiting for yourself to actually be out of balance you know you know practicing preventative maintenance taking mm -hmm. care of yourself uh, mothers uh, breastfeeding their children like you said like i feel like that's crazy crazy important like when i see like uh mothers going nuts for similac and just you know saying that they have to get this or like i understand there's certain cases where the babies just do not want to eat or do not want to breastfeed and the baby, you know, the baby is, that's just something that happens and you have to make a choice at that point. 
But as mm. far as like the first move you make is to go for the simulac and not to even allow the body to do what it naturally does, it's not only detrimental to you, but it's detrimental to the child. Because now you you can't release those hormones, you can't release that naturally those things from your body, and the baby isn't releasing, isn't gaining the natural nutrients that it needs. You know, so and I feel like that all within itself has like like lifelong effects and how you grow up and your metabolism rate and just like your brain development and all these crazy things that the pharmaceutical companies and the hospitals are kind of confusing us to just make us into like these sterile lab rats. And it's kind of just weird that people just choose not to think and they're like, all right, let me just let this person tell me what to do because they have a medical degree. That's like, right. No. Like, no, bro, doctors are able to be stupid too. They're humans. Just because you get a medical degree does not mean you stop making mistakes. Like they literally, call doctors um doctor offices practices because they are still practicing and they're still figuring it out you know so it's yeah i'm with you i'm completely with you on that and like you said these choices that we make during the pregnancy during the birth have these lifelong effects right and the doctor can urge you to do something, you know, so many of them, so many women have come to me and said, oh, my doctor laughed in my face when I said I wasn't going to get the epidural, right? I said, why would you ever put yourself through pain? No one's going to give you a medal, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Coming from someone who can't even birth a child, a man who does no, has no idea what it feels like or what it is to experience that is telling her, you know, why would you ever do that? So then she feels kind of dejected and doesn't have a lot of faith or hope in the experience Mm -hmm. and then gets the epidural and then the baby's born and maybe the baby and her having a hard time bonding, right? Because maybe her milk doesn't come in or breastfeeding is difficult because um, epidural, believe it or not, does affect our, our body's ability for the milk to come in. So then she doesn't bond with the baby. She doesn't breastfeed. She starts to feel like she rejects the baby, right? Because we're mammals. And when that happens in nature, um, if, a, if a mother is separated from her baby, they don't have that initial bonding of oxytocin, the exchange of hormones and breastfeeding. Um, that mother will just straight up leave that baby to die in the jungle, in the woods, right? They don't, they don't say, oh, you know, they don't have this part that we have in the human brain that says, oh, I have to care for you. This is the responsible thing to do no matter what, right? We also have this animal part of our brains that's like, I don't connect to this baby. And then that creates this rift and this, this kind of lifelong guilt. Like I didn't connect with my baby at birth and now I don't, you know. So it, and then who's responsible for that? Not the doctor who told you to get the epidural. After that birth, they're done with you, right? Bye. I got my paycheck. It's over. They're not following up with you postpartum. Like, are you okay? How's it going with the baby? Is there anything that I can do? Does your spine have any sensitivity from the epidural that I suggested? Uh, you know, they're not doing any of that. So, so that's for women to know you, you are responsible and you alone. So you can do what your midwife says. You can do what your doctor says, but you will be the one raising this child. You will be the one dealing with the effects of these decisions, not them. So what is the optimal environment for uh, giving birth? And, and um, how, when would you recommend uh, to go to the hospital and to get that support? Look, I, I know what would be optimal for me mm-hmm. to have a baby. Um, 
And I think that if someone does feel safer or more comfortable or at ease in a hospital, because that's just where their comfort level is, then I think they should go where they feel good, genuinely feel good. But you have to be educated to birth at a hospital. I feel you have to be more educated to birth at a hospital than to birth at home. Um, you have to know what all the procedures are. You have to understand how to practice informed consent, how to ask the right questions. So it's really a matter of being prepared and educated wherever you're birthing. So that's the optimal. The optimal is what you're aligned with and what feels good to you. Um, but if we want to go a little deeper, um, there are needs that laboring women have, that all mammals have. Um, but particular, particularly humans, um, we need a safe environment, right? Mm-hmm. We need a safe environment where there aren't strangers coming in. We need our cortisol and our adrenaline to be low, right? So we can't be wondering, oh, who just walked in the door? I don't know that person. Or the lights are bright. Like we need dim lighting. We need to feel safe. We need our nervous system to be calm so that we can completely open and be vulnerable, right? Babies come out when the woman is vulnerable and open. But if the woman is under stress, if the woman doesn't feel safe, she's going to hold that baby in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my so, picture of, of uh, pregnancy is obviously, like you said earlier, the Hollywood kind of picture where uh, there's people running in and out of the, the room. Um, the doctors are recommending all sorts of different shots and, and uh, pain meds or whatever. And then the husband is sitting there on the side trying to console the wife, but also freaking out. So I would imagine I would imagine that that scenario is rarely the most effective one, especially given how it comes off as such a high stress environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just so false that perception, mm-hmm. you know. But that's that's how we learn about birth is just through film, right? Mm-hmm. And through other people's stories. And unfortunately, many women are having traumatic births. I have yet to meet a woman who says that they had a traumatic home birth. Wow. All the negative birth stories I hear are coming from the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's not to say I haven't heard positive hospital birth stories. That's, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. But the negative stories I hear are all results of, um, you know, the doctor did this. I didn't want it. Or this was done to me and the baby didn't like it. And then I had to do a C-section. Um, I was induced, right? They, they gave me drugs to get the baby out sooner. That's an induction. They give you Pitocin or Cytotec to really try to speed up your labor, even though the baby's not ready to come out. And when you do that to a baby, they're, mostly they're going to dig their heels in. I say, I'm not ready to come out. Like this, I'm not done yet. And so then the woman ends up in a C-section. Uh, and is that a thing? The babies, can they even, I didn't even know it was possible they could, they could dictate where, what happens. <laughs> They, um, you know, it's, women go typically to 40 weeks gestation, right? Um, but now there's this really popular thing in the last 30 years because you make a lot of money inducing a woman, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of money to be made with these procedures. And so they'll do an ultrasound, you know, at 32 weeks pregnancy and they'll say, wow, this baby looks really big. It's going to be a big baby, nine pounds, 10 pounds. Right. So first you need to know the margin of error for these ultrasounds is like 70%. And second of all, that woman is, is growing a baby that's appropriate to her body. Mm-hmm. 
And so they say, we're going to induce you. We're going to get this baby out before 40 weeks so that it doesn't get too big, right? We don't want it to get stuck in there. And the woman doesn't know any better and says, okay, they said my baby's going to be too big, so I have to get it out at 38 weeks, right? Two weeks before it's typically supposed to come out. And then the baby's born six and a half pounds, seven pound baby, right? It's not nine pounds, 10 pounds. But then the baby's dealing with respiratory issues because the, the lungs are the last thing to fully develop in the womb. So I'm, you know, I'm, I've been looking at numbers. I've been looking at numbers for the last, um, you know, few years, studies showing that asthma has gone up significantly in the last 25 years. Could this be related to babies being induced at a really massive scale and coming out before the lungs are fully developed, right? So we have to look, we have to look at childhood illness and we, always, we should always trace it back to how the birth went, right? How did, how did that happen? Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. Trying to play God. Yeah. Uh, and one thing, one thing I love about, uh, from what I've heard with holistic birth is that um, it seems to really value the fact that the female, the female body is made to do this like whether you believe in, in God or not, you could say God has given us this power. But even beyond that, you could say that it's just a fact of nature. Nature has made the human body, the female body, capable of doing this millions of years ago, thousands of years ago, before we had all this intense medicine. Mm -hmm. when clearly, we are the human race has, has uh, evolved and... and um, done quite well so women have this ability to naturally give birth and i think that's uh, a super important part about holistic birth um, and the other part of it that i find super interesting is that it seems to also value uh the spiritual aspect of it and that it's not just a physical experience uh but it also is a spiritual one and so how does the, how does that side of the experience play into what happens? Well, the biggest um, the spiritual underpinnings of birth um, really are about this transformation that the woman is going through. Whenever there's a birth, there's a death. So that's what I I say. I, I, that's how I see it. Right, mm -hmm. the woman. The woman as herself, as the individual in the world, is no longer. And the, the labor process that she's going through is the slow death of self, right? And as soon as this baby comes out, she is a mother. She is no longer the same. Mm -hmm. And so when we're not tapped into that, right? Many women, after the baby's born, they try to regain control and assume the identity they had before the baby was born, right? Oh, this is, this is how it was, you know, when I was, you know, just myself in the world and this is what I was doing and, you know, all of these things and all of these beliefs and it's, and they, they, they come up against this challenge, right? Because they need to step fully into this role as mother and let go of so much. There isn't space for the two. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that you can't practice self-love and you can't continue to be authentic and individual as a mother and as a caretaker, but you have to acknowledge that these roles are so different, right? Mm -hmm. That this is a new identity. So I've, I've just found that there, there seems to be a lot of postpartum struggle for women who are, are trying to find that 
saying, well, what about this? And, you know, I don't see my friends anymore. And like, I want to go back to my career and now I have to give it up. But then if I, you know, but if I, if I do go back to my career, then I have to sacrifice being with my baby. And then a nanny is going to raise my child. And there's all of these struggles, right? And very rarely do women give themselves the opportunity or does society give them the opportunity to just completely step into their role as mother? So, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I guess that comes back to, uh, certain policies America has in place in the United States have have in place that don't allow the woman to maybe take that extended break from their job. And because ultimately we have to pay, pay, pay the bills. And, uh, so that's something obviously we could work on giving women that opportunity to go home. And I don't know how, how maybe you have the answer to this. I don't know how long or what the recommended length of time a woman should be with their baby after uh, birth. And if it's a year or two years, um, but it's definitely a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, most traditions and cultures say that there's, it's called the sacred window. It's the first 40 days after the birth that the woman should like, be home, be eating, be breastfeeding, like completely disconnect from the world in order to build this connection with the baby, step into her role. But I believe that a woman is postpartum until her last breath in life, right? Like she's always postpartum. There's always this child. There's Even if the child grows up and moves away to New York, she's still thinking about that child every day. I so a woman always single day. So I know. <laughs> oh, such a good son. Um, but what a woman needs in order to really fulfill what I believe are the needs of the child, a year is ideal. Mm-hmm. A year is ideal. Um, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, right? Um, when we look at children who feel emotionally secure, they behave and adapt very differently in situations. Um, for everyone who's listening, just look up attachment parenting. And um, it's a type of approach to parenting that builds a very strong and secure child. We don't, and it has to do with the mother's presence. We have this concept like, oh, if you hold the baby too much, you're going to spoil it, right? If you give it too much attention, it's going to be a, you know, a mama's boy or mama's girl, you know, that's very big in Latin culture and I'm, I'm Latin and I work with a lot of Latin families and that's this thing, right? Don't hold the baby too much. But what we're finding is that when the baby knows you're there and knows you're always going to be there, it has more confidence to go out and try new things. Huh. But if you're always pushing it away and avoiding it and giving it off to people, that baby's going to become overly attached to you because it doesn't feel secure with you. So it's constant, it becomes more needy in the end. Um, but that's about parenting. So, yeah, that's that's the biggest component, I believe. The spiritual component of birth is just this transformation that women go through that I feel like if we can just get tapped into that, we'll have such a different experience um, after the baby's born. And holistic birth lends itself to allowing that woman to make the connection, right? The more uninterrupted she is, the less interventions there are, the less people there are giving their opinions and their two cents the woman can really step in to what that means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's one point that I really wanted to hit on that you um, have a, a decent amount of content on, on your page. It's when you speak about the umbilical cord and the placenta. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what is, what, how do you feel about the relationship between 
the child and the placenta and how long do you feel that the child should be allowed to stay connected to the placenta after birth? Yeah, so we look, so that everyone knows the placenta is an organ that the woman grows during the pregnancy. Um, it's attached to the wall of the uterus and it's basically what oxygenates the baby and passes nutrients to the baby. And then everything that the baby detoxes goes th back through the umbilical cord into the placenta and out of the mother's body. So it's this loop system. Um, and so when the baby's born, the baby comes out and then a few minutes later, anywhere up to 30 minutes later, the placenta comes out after the placenta is delivered. Um, we look at the placenta as the baby's first parent, the baby's first mother, right? This is what nurtured the baby, what would sustain the baby. And so when the baby comes out and the placenta comes out, it's important to just take a moment at least to honor that this thing has been sustaining your baby for nine months. Sure, it was growing within you, but this really was the driving force, the tool that was being used. So first and foremost, you want to acknowledge that. And then second, in terms of cutting the umbilical cord and separating the baby from the placenta, you want to wait until that cord stops pulsing, right? You want all the blood that's coming from the placenta that's in the cord to get back to the baby. It's a significant amount of blood. And so what happens then is the baby gets that back. It gets all that good blood back. It has high iron count. It has sufficient blood volume and the baby's healthy. <clears throat> The reason they cl clamp the cord right away and do everything really fast is because when babies are medicated from the mother taking medication, cutting that cord causes their lungs to go into function right away, right? Huh. They start breathing immediately. <gasps> you know, they do that. Mm -hmm. When the breathing is sluggish because of drugs, they have to do that. So that's another, um, that's another reason that, you know, we want to avoid drugs you can um so yeah you want to wait till the cord stops pulsing and you know some women they do what's called a lotus birth which is you know they, you can't do that at the hospital because it just logistically is incompatible with what they're doing there um but if you're at home or you're at a birth center the lotus birth basically just means that the placenta is wrapped and cared for and the cord is eventually dried out so the cord will dry it on its own and it will naturally separate from the baby so it'll naturally, the placenta and the baby will naturally separate. Some people like to do that because they feel that it's gentle, energetically, and spiritually, um, the natural process separates them, not someone else coming in and separate, separating them. Yeah. I lean more towards it. I'm definitely more on the side of I didn't know that it was called the lotus birth, but I've always heard so much about it, and I never really um, knew what you said about the hospitals, you know, cutting the umbilical cord just so the baby can actually start using its lungs. I always had the idea that the reason they disconnected the baby from the placenta so quickly was to like stop from infection or like anything of that nature. But it's like, hmm. Well, is that the right thing? To, it sounds like that's not the right thing to do or to, I mean, to cut it immediately and force the baby, baby into using their lungs. It's not, that that's not... Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's the right thing to do simply because I don't think that it's, it's beneficial for the baby's health to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you see more issues with blood sugar, blood, blood volume, iron count when the baby doesn't get that blood back. Yeah, and that's a lot because like, uh, like, like, like the placenta still holds some of the blood for the blood to get back to the baby now instead of you cutting the umbilical cord. Now the red blood cells inside the bones have to work overload to create the blood that's missing now from the umbilical cord and all these extra things. And then 
instead of the lungs like expanding naturally, it's almost like you're getting shook, shaken out of your sleep and you're just like, right. you know, getting thrown into the world instead of you going into like a gentle awakening and like letting things separate right. naturally. You know, it's, I get it. It's, it's coming, coming from someone who had like almost no prior knowledge, knowledge on the subject. It, it just, ma- it seems like it just makes a ton of sense to yeah. not do that. So it's weird to me that doctors and medical professions end up cutting the cord so quick. I don't know. Yeah. And just remember the medical industrial complex functions on efficiency and saving lives, right? That's the goal. We're here to save lives. We're here to see something so far down the road that could be an emergency and prevent it from happening. But when we do that in birth, right? We just strip the body's ability to function naturally, right? It makes sense like, hey, there's an illness. We want to try and catch it before it gets too big, right? Before it takes over the body. Um, it, it, that, that approach makes a little bit more sense with birth. I mean, not with birth, with illnesses, but not with birth. So I just see that things happen very quickly in the delivery room. Um, you know, they take the baby away, they start doing newborn exams, and next thing you know, it's another 30 minutes before the mother's actually holding her baby. You know, I've, I've seen women sitting there like, where's my baby? Where's my baby? Where's my baby? That sounds horrible to me. That yeah. sounds terrifying. Right? And there's this very small window of opportunity right after the baby comes out where the baby is releasing oxytocin from the top of his head. The mother's um, hormones are also raging and they need to smell each other. They need to be with each other. She needs to identify the baby with her eyes as mammals do in nature in order to make the connection. This is my child, right? Um, So that opportunity is missed when the baby's just taken into the whole rigmarole of newborn procedures at the hospital. So when creating a birth plan, which is something that I recommend everyone to do, um, you have to really look at what the newborn procedures are, study them, say, I would, I'm going to decline this one. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to accept that. I'm not going to accept that so that you know that it's okay to say I'm declining newborn procedures for one hour. Right? And you tell the staff that. You say, I'm not doing any of this for one hour, so you guys can all just wait. All you need to know when the baby comes out is that it's breathing properly. And that's something they can check while the baby's on your chest. If the baby's crying, it's breathing, and that's it. You don't even need to do anything else. And then after that, weighing the baby, uh, doing blood work, uh, measuring the baby, footprints, all that stuff doesn't need to happen in the first hour after birth. It's not necessary. So people just don't know that. And that's why creating a birth plan is just so important. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, holistic medicine that comes into play in the holistic birth um, that you would prefer to use over uh, hospital prescribed well, Some of the midwives I know work with homeopathic medicine. My mother is a homeopathic doctor herself. So um, I do know of these medicines and herbs and approaches, I would never suggest anything to a client because I do not offer any medical advice, but I can share information with them and then they can go through a homeopathic doctor or they can go through their midwife. I do recommend modalities like acupuncture for discomfort. I do recommend acupuncture for inducing the baby, right? So if the woman goes past her due date, 
And she was like, okay, this baby's not coming out. Sometimes you can do some acupuncture and that'll just nudge the uterus to start working and contracting. Um, chiropractic adjustments help align the pelvis, open the pelvis, which can then help the baby drop down and engage. Um, so there's a, there are a lot of modalities to try. But my biggest pain relief technique is what I teach in my classes, which is education. Right? <laughs> when you know what's happening in your body, you, re you release the fear. Mm -hmm. And fear is what creates so much of this pain we feel in birth. It's just right. the fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. right? It's not like when you break a bone. Yeah, that hurts. And there's nothing positive coming after that. So it's very different than when you're in labor. It's uncomfortable, but if you understand why it's happening and that it's going to be over soon and all of the other things around it, it's, it's so much less painful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how how important do you think it is for the connection between the child and the father as compared to that when it comes to the mother? Well, I have I have views on this that I know are not very popular, <laughs> but I um I really believe in the biology of the roles that women and men play in this experience. And I know that there are many same-sex couples that are having babies and it's wonderful. And then you just adjust depending on what your dynamic is in your relationship. So that being said, the father's role is really to support the woman through her breastfeeding, through her postpartum period right? To be there for the baby, but really to be there for her so that she can provide all of the optimal biological functions that her body is giving, right? People say, well, I'm going to leave the baby at home with the dad so he can bottle feed so that I can go do stuff and they can bond, right? Mm -hmm. They'll bond, he'll bottle feed and bo they'll bond. Um, bottle feeding is a whole other topic, maybe for another episode, but um, <laughs> But what happens there is that, sure, the baby is bonding with the father, but it interferes with breastfeeding and it interferes with the relationship that this mother's building in those first few months. So what I like the father to do is, you know, she breastfeeds, baby's done feeding, the, the father puts on a baby carrier, puts the baby in the baby carrier, and they go on a walk around the neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many ways that the father can bond, but really... In an ideal situation, the father is out providing for the family so that the mother can really fulfill the biological function of breastfeeding this baby, caring for this baby, and really seeing out her role in this experience. Um, and thereafter, you know, they say that the mother is the introduction to the world, but then the father teaches that child to be out in the world. And so I noticed that um, with my child um, and her father, you know, when she turned three was when they started having a lot of experiences together. And now that's like them, like they, <laughs> you know, they're going on the boat, they're fishing, they're bike riding, um, they're doing all kinds of things. And, and it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we both had our time, we were both having our time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, that's with parenting. Um, but I do feel, you know, men want to be helpful. They want to know what can I do so that she's supported and I bond with the baby. There's so many ways to do that. Um, but there's a misconception that getting super involved with the baby in the newborn stages is necessary. And it's, and it's not 
in the way that we might think it is. So how about during the actual, like what is the best thing a man can do for his uh, significant other during the birth? I know for myself, I'll mostly be freaking out. <laughs> when I get past that, what can I do to help my woman? So first, take my class. Okay. I can um, that. I won't, I probably won't have a baby for like another 10 years. I'm only 25, so it could be a while. But uh, when the time comes, I'm there. All right. I'll give five years. Well, if I'm not teaching, take a good class. Contact me. I'll get you a good class to take. Um, mm -hmm. So take a class with your partner. Like super important, right? Um, it bonds you as a couple, but it also gives you an understanding of your role and um, how involved you want to get is up to you, but it gives you the tools to get as involved as you want to get. Some men want to be there like in the trenches, like I want to catch this baby. Some men are like, well, I'll be up here and this is my comfort level. I'll be at your shoulders, rubbing your shoulders and I'll let the midwife do the down there stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it, that's fine. But you just need to know that taking a class is going to bond you and prepare you. Obviously reading books um, and doing a lot of things together during the pregnancy, like go camping, like do take her on dates. Like you're both going through this pregnancy in a very different way. She's gestating and you're also preparing. Like your life is about to change. You are also about to have this transformation of self to father. So you have to honor that. Um, and then of course, through the birth, what I teach is like an informal doula training for partners. So like I'm basically teaching you how to do all of the physical techniques, the emotional techniques, the relaxation techniques, and then teaching you how to really transition into that postpartum period. The best thing to do is be supportive of her choices, right? Um, believe it or not, some couples that come to me, they just don't see eye to eye in a lot of things about birth or about the newborn procedures or vaccines or whatever it is so it's important to create birth plans talk about these things and the person who comes with more evidence is usually the person that wins right so do your do your due diligence um so that you can really have um good solid conversations about what your plans are and what your hopes are and your dreams are together sheesh like I'm just like uh, I'm. I'm just taken aback by all the information. This is like, uh, it's like you know, it's like a lot of well-needed information that I feel like should be known that isn't known and should be taught, but it's just rarely taught. And like people who do things that you do are are highly appreciated and much needed in this world, because I feel like we're we're more tr we're transitioning more to a space where we are hyper exposed to information, but we are not digesting the right amount of information or the right type of information. So That's right. when we step back and we actually start, you know, educating ourselves on like the natural processes of life, those are like the things that I feel like are the utmost importance because we just like lose touch with the actual self. And then that just causes a whole heap of issues later on down the line. And just like hearing that there are people out here who are still, you know, making a career, making a lifestyle and still focusing on the actual natural processes of life, it's, it's very reassuring in 2020 to hear things like this. And is, is there, or, sorry, Nate. <laughs> no, you good, you go ahead, bro. Uh, so one thing I noticed on your Instagram profile is um, you mentioned Reiki. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had Reiki done to me a few times. 
Uh, and really? yeah, it's pretty cool. It's an, uh, I'm into that sort of stuff. So I was, I was, uh, very intrigued with what it would, uh, the experience would be like. Uh, so I'm curious how that experience comes to play during pregnancy or what, how Reiki, uh, is used. Yeah. So Reiki is energy work. Um, some people think that it's the energy of that person, the, the healer, right? Going into the person receiving, but it's not that. Myself as a Reiki practitioner, I just channel all of the energy that exists in the universe, right? This, this, if you want to look at it as white, you know, white light, mm-hmm. I just allow that to come through me and then into the person. I'm just a conduit. So that per, everyone has this healing power within them. And when I can tap them into this greater source, that healing happens. I'm not thinking anything. I'm not doing anything besides placing my hands above the person and allowing myself to be a conduit. So in pregnancy, I find that if there's something like a block, right? I'll give you an example. If there's some kind of a block or some kind of apprehension about the birth, um, or there's something unresolved, sometimes in Reiki that'll come to the surface and it'll just reveal itself to that woman or that person receiving the Reiki. Hmm. Like, oh, this fear I might be feeling is that, you know, I want my mom to be there and she's not with us anymore. So she can't be there. Right. She's never, she was never allowed to, she never really found the opportunity to express that, but through Reiki, she might, that might come to her awareness. So what it does is it can kind of unlock what's underneath the surface, allow us to confront it, to work through it and move on. Um, For other people, it can simply just be a time to bring down the nervous system and relax you. A lot of people just come so that they can fall asleep and go into a deep state of meditation. Yeah, my first experience was me uh, getting, I ended up very sleepy. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Reiki high. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so it can, it can do different things for everyone. It's, it depends on what that person receiving it needs. Mm-hmm. So I find it to be a helpful tool during pregnancy. I do it from a distance as well, um, since I practice level two Reiki, so I can send Reiki to anyone anywhere in the world. Um, so I've been doing that a lot for my clients who are in hospitals because right now during um, during Rona, we're not allowed to go into hospitals. Um, some women can't have to go alone even without their husbands or their partners. So this is an opportunity for me to send them Reiki while they're there. So that's been really wonderful. I feel like uh, we're transitioning into a new era of more so self-intuitivism, self-intuitivism intuitiveness intuition there we go boom there we go okay so it's more like people are becoming more in touch with themselves because they're just stuck at home with themselves mm-hmm. so like in that being the case i feel like that's just allowing people to see things clearer and just understand things and like you know kind of like wipe the fog off their glasses and actually see what's actually going on in front of them so yeah like there's like there's like beauty in the disaster that's going on right now so enough i have nothing but hope um nothing but hope and like um and hope in the success of like home births and just people going back towards the natural way and people um you know inviting the homeopathic lifestyle into their own lifestyle because i feel like that is the original lifestyle you know letting the body provide for itself and letting the earth provide for us and you know things of that nature yeah um at the end of every episode there are two questions that we love to ask everybody um, I don't know if Eric wants to start off by asking the first one, I'll ask the second one or? Sure, yeah, I can do it. So um, 
Well, obviously, it's it's somewhat in our title, right? We're on the journey. We're interested in uh, the process of life and how our individual professions influence the way we view happiness and how we uh, how through the journey of life we try to achieve that or if it's something that is maybe always there with you. But I guess our, the first question is, as a doula, how has that influenced the way you try to uh, attain your own personal happiness and how, how has being a doula influenced the way you uh, view that idea? Like, do you, is, is happiness just come from you delivering, helping mothers deliver their babies or does happiness come from uh, the feeling you get through that process? Um, so how do you try to define happiness? Define that. Um, that's a really nice question. <clears throat> well, I used to always try to get to a state of happiness. I thought that the goal is to always be happy. I didn't understand that it wasn't necessary to reject other emotions like sadness or anger. Mm. Um, and so when I learned that I was able to allow myself to flow through everything. And I realized that happiness came to me when I saw the look on someone's face after they said, thanks to something you told us during the pregnancy, we were able to make this decision. And now I feel so good about the birth that I had. Right. Mm. So, when I see someone else um, flourishing in their experience because of something that I was able to offer them, I sleep really well at night. Um, and, and that's where the happiness comes from through my work. Um, but also allowing any of that darkness to come in, right? Because the more darkness that I acknowledge, the more light and the more happiness mm. I can see and appreciate. So I allow everything to kind of come in and flow. And, and um, thankfully, my work, there's a pretty good balance of light and dark. <laughs> I get to bring human beings into the world. That's a pretty special thing. Definitely. And our second question that we like to ask everybody is, um, what is your definition of success? Like, um, what is success to you from your perspective? Um, hmm. <laughs> Again, I being in alignment with how I spend my day. Whether that's, you know, like if I'm able to sit down with my coffee for 30 minutes and eat my breakfast and read my paper, I have attained success because I set out to do something and I carved out the time to do it. I'm in alignment with every moment and how I spend my time. And that only comes from years of learning how to practice boundaries right and so um and so through my work and through the choices i make every day i just when i feel that i'm in alignment with what i set out to do i feel that i'm in complete success huh that's awesome yeah that's not a that's a, a different response than i think anything we've we've heard yeah it's, it's very different but in a way it kind of is not too far off from the um response we got from our yoga instructor where she was saying that, you know, her success is ever-changing and whenever she goes at it day by day 
and whatever she can accomplish throughout that day is is what she finds as successful. And it's just like, um, it's interesting to see how certain things align, but are still very different in its own way. You know, this has been like a very informative, uh, enlightening episode. And it's just like, uh, I've learned a lot. I thought and that I learned a lot. I always realized that I know nothing every time I decide to talk to people. Um, we do highly appreciate you coming on and sharing the time and speaking to us and sharing some knowledge with us. And uh, what you do is like extremely appreciated for me. And I just hope everybody, you know, can appreciate this information and can find the gems and the jewels and what you have said and take some time out to like look at your page and see the dope content. It might be a little aggressive for certain people, but <laughs> just, you know, the nature of life and how the body goes. And it's just like certain things that people aren't used to seeing or we just haven't, we have like denormalized the normal you know so uh and where can our listeners uh reach you and is um i know you have an instagram page i'm not sure if you have a website but where can they contact you yeah you can go to my website i'm super responsive um it's alacuenca.com e-y-l-a-c-u-e-n-c-a.com you can message me through there um or you can find me on instagram i also have a telegram channel alacuenca birth um, you'll get a little bit more unfiltered content on Telegram, uncensored uh, by the man. So you can also find me there. Hey. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, it's been a it's been a dope one. <laughs> <laughs>